Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, we've got a fantastic podcast today. Going to be it's our last one before the trade deadline, so we're going to be talking about the Kraken as far as if they should be making a move before the trade deadline, any moves we think that they could be making. I teased it last night on the post game. I have an incredible trade proposal. I'm so happy to have everybody here and find out about, but we're also going to be reviewing the games from this past week as well as hitting on some news and notes. But of course, got to start with a shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall, RJ Kraken going to be going back on the road, and you know what that means. It's a fantastic time for everybody to go check out Queen Anne Beer Hall. Uh, if you want kind of that Kraken home game experience with the lights, with the goal lights, with the with the music and the sound, goal horn. And being around yeah. everybody, the goal horn, everything, got to go check out Queen Anne Beer Hall. It's a fantastic place to watch a Kraken game, especially during these road trips. I think it's it would be a lot of fun. So I want to give them a shout-out. RJ, it's a, it was kind of a rough week. We'll, we'll get into so. the we'll get into the games and everything, uh, but we you know last week we talked about several things as we do, and uh, one of them was the idea of of Chris Drieger and what the situation was going to be revolving him as he's getting more practice time. Was it going to be worked back in? A cracker going to have to somehow try to carry three goaltenders before the trade deadline and all that kind of stuff. And in this past week, we have our answer as to what the cracker were going to do. Yes, and. They put him on waivers, and this is something that we discussed earlier, and we disagreed on this too. Uh, not to, you know, pull this up to take a whole victory lap here, <laughs> but uh, you know, I did post the clip as he was uh, placed on yep. waivers and saying that I think that's what it's going to come to, and I of course cut it off right after you said I disagree. Like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you're welcome there, Dylan. <laughs> yes. I, I left out the whole part where you make your very good and reasoned <laughs> argument about why you disagreed. Uh, just want everyone to know that you disagreed. Well, I was going to say it's probably good because I gave lots of good reasons why a team should for free pick up Chris Drieger off of waivers. So it's probably good that we didn't put that out there for rival general managers to to hear and ponder because uh, we might have seen a different result. That's right. We don't want him getting any ideas, um, but they didn't get any ideas. Good news for the Kraken here. So uh, they ended up placing Chris Drieger on waivers and assigning him down to the Coachella Valley Firebirds after he cleared. So all the other teams in the NHL had an opportunity to pick up Chris Drieger essentially for free. Just you got to pick up that contract, which is this year and then one more year at three point five million dollar uh, cap hit. And every team declined to do that, having not seen him play coming off of the injury. That's understandable, I think. And uh, but he goes down to the Firebirds for his next step, kind of towards an NHL return. He'll get some games in in Coachella Valley. He'll try and work his way back. And this is something that Hackstall mentioned the day of. It's all part of the process of getting him back into NHL game shape uh, and towards an NHL return. Yeah, and you know the other thing being too. Nobody probably that eager to pick up that contract a week before the trade deadline as <laughs> you're, you're wanting to probably have maximum amount of cap space available. But yeah, this this is the thing that makes the most sense as far as Chris Drieger staying a member of the Kraken organization. It makes sense to get him down to Coachella Valley, playing with that group. It's a great group of, of guys down there. It's a winning team. It's a, it's, you know, it's a fantastic kind of organization that they've got going on. Good building, incredible coaching staff. Right. Like this is a great place for him to come back and, and work his way back, get back used to playing games. You know what I mean? Like stress testing the body, all that kind of stuff that you've got to do. Uh, I think this is a thousand percent the number one place for him to be. Really, really happy for him. Happy for Coachella Valley, too, because look, they're 
they're heading towards a playoff run to themselves, right? Like they've been one of the, the best teams in the AHL all season long. And so to, to have a, a nice solid, like NHL level veteran goaltender, it's certainly not going to hurt anything for them. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And to do it via waivers too, I think is actually best for everybody as opposed to having him on the clock for, you know, yeah. a conditioning stint or something where he's on that either a two week clock or a six game clock where you have to worry about bringing him up to the NHL level. And then what do you do? This just gives both sides as much runway as they need to get him right, to get him in game shape and, uh, and do things the right way. Yeah, definitely. So that's all solid good news there. Uh, another player within the Kraken organization coming back from injury in this past week that we should talk about, and that is Shane Wright. So Shane Wright, obviously, he's been back down at the OHL level. He was traded to Windsor from Kingston, went back to the OHL, been playing really, really well with the Windsor Spitfires, and then you know ran into an injury situation that's had him in and out of the Windsor lineup for a little while, but he appears to be back, came back on the 23rd, posted an assist, and then last night had an incredible three-point game, some fantastic highlights from that one great passing kind of you know all over the offensive zone i mean he is he is lighting up the ohl he's got 18 points in nine games seven goals in those nine games shane wright he is he's looking phenomenal for the kraken down there in windsor so happy to have him back out on the ice for sure and just happy to have him healthy that's huge uh, he's been in and out of the lineup you know in back out again you know with that lower body injury uh so i you get concerned you know because mm -hmm. he also hasn't played a whole lot of games really the last two three years yeah you want him getting in games that's why you send him back down to juniors so he's playing now and good to see the injury doesn't seem to have affected him negatively at all uh looks like he's picking up right where he left off right and maybe more important to to kraken fans beyond the incredible numbers he's pointing up as far as goals and points last night he went 11 of 19 in the face-off dot so that might be the most <laughs> exciting thing that kraken fans can hear especially after this past week rj how's that for a segue uh where you know we we talked about it last week the the big question around the kraken and, and our kind of main topic of discussion was how are where are they really in this league are they one of the better teams? Are they a true playoff team? Are they a potential contender? Where do they actually fall? And one of the things that you had brought up was the idea of, look, they've been beating all the teams they should beat, but they hadn't beaten the playoff team in over a month at that point. <laughs> and, yep. and this past week, they were going to get the opportunity to try and do that, playing uh, both against a Boston team that is on a historic run right now. I mean, they are just absolutely incredible. And then also against Toronto, coming back, bringing back some familiar faces of Mark Giordano and Cali Yarncroke. Um, overall, well, before we get to like the game by game, overall this past week, just to get it out of the way, it was bad. It was really bad. It was another rough week for the Kraken. I don't know that it was like the worst week we've ever seen, like like two weeks ago or three weeks ago when we had kind of brought up that idea. Um, but the bottom line is the Kraken, since we've last done this podcast, RJ, 0-3. And they're 3-6-1, I believe, in their last 10. And this is not the time of year to, to do that. <laughs> it's the bottom line. We've watched them go from top of the division to a second wildcard spot. Right. And this time of year, you need to be banking points. And when you're not, you are going to fall in the standings, especially as tight as things are in the West. I, I think it was like a week ago where the Kraken were three points out of uh, the number one spot in the entire Western Conference and three points out of the final spot, you know, playoff spot in the Western Conference. So it is that tight. It has been that tight. And when you're not banking points, 
those are the kind of drastic changes you're going to see. And especially with the trade deadline coming up, it's really kind of changed the whole perspective of, okay, what are the Kraken looking at seeding wise? You can always, you know, win more games and, and move back up. It still is really close, but yeah, dropping three games is, is really tough. And, you know, going through that San Jose, those are points you just can't afford to leave on the table. You know, you can try and get them back with an impressive win against a Boston or Toronto, but ultimately, you know, you, you blow a lead in that Boston game with four and five minutes to go and you end up getting zero points out of it. Uh, and then of course, coming up against Toronto and not really being anywhere close to the two points, uh, it starts to add up. Yeah, it really does. It's, it was just a rough week all the way around. Um, you know, normally we would ask kind of like, well, what went wrong? But the bottom line is this is the, it was the same things that have been plaguing this team all season long, win or lo win or lose. And that's, you know, power play wasn't really there. The offense was inconsistent and, and not really reliable, uh, is, is a problem for them. Can't clear the puck out of your, out of your own end. Like that's a big problem. They still can't figure out how to do that. Uh, Faceoffs were absolutely atrocious, especially in that Toronto game. Twenty nine percent for the for the Kraken. Like that has got to be, I think, a season low. And you look at some of the guys too. Like Yanni Gord has been the the Kraken's best faceoff man all season long. Last two games against both Boston and Toronto, a combined four faceoff wins in those two games. Looking at a 15.4% at a 25% against Toronto. Like that, that is absolutely crushing them right now. When you can't win those defensive zone draws, when you can't win an offensive zone draw, especially on like a power play, right? You know, like trying to start a power play, can't win the face off. Like that's the problem. They can get an immediate clear. Next thing you know, 40 seconds later, you're back in the offensive zone. Like that's the kind of stuff that is really crushing them right now. And I think is part of the reason why they've struggled against other playoff teams. Yeah, it certainly has been a factor. And as the year goes on, as the season goes on, as Dave Haxtell loves to say, the, the type of hockey gets different. And, um, you know, those draws become much more important. And, you know, you're seeing the Kraken kind of lose more and more of those. Uh, and, and it starts to add up and you're you're looking at, OK, how do you fix this? Um, you know, is there somebody on the roster that can fix this or, or not? Um, and uh, you know, even though you're seeing improvements from players like Matty Beneers in the dot, which is great to see. Um, you kind of need to see more overall from the team. Um, but, you know, just one of the factors, it just feels like different things are going wrong, but it's always from that same checklist of things that we see all season. Another one that I wanted to add to that is, is net front defense. And this is something that really showed up last game against Toronto. Yeah. Uh, Dave Haxtell pointed out the Leafs love to throw a lot of pucks into those, you know, danger areas and scoring areas without, you know, kind of clean possession or anything, but just throw pucks in there and then try and win those battles in mm -hmm. front. And, you know, they are, you know, they have a lot of skill, but they do have some bigger, heavier guys in that situation that can win those battles. And you saw the Kraken just kind of getting beat on that all night long. And just that, that net front defense and also just the awareness of knowing where guys are having another play, you know, on the Liljegren goal, where all five Kraken skaters were on one side of the ice in their D zone. I mean, we've seen this a few times mm -hmm. this week. Um, that kind of stuff just just needs to stop. And I, I would want to get into the X's and O's of it and all that. But I mean, even when Hackstall's telling you, it's just a mindset thing. It, you know, the players know not to all be on f all five of them yes. on one side of the ice. Like this is something they've been taught since they were young. We've been over this. Yeah. It's about just making that mental switch that has to happen. Right. But this is, you know, you've said it. 
I've said it. Hackstall's been saying it. We've all been saying that all season long. I mean, this goes back to the very beginning of the year when they kind of, you know, stumbled very briefly out of the gate. We were talking about this and and Hackstall was talking about it that way. And it's and it's one of those things I hate to bring it up again, but if everybody knows it's just a mindset thing and this group just seems incapable of flipping that switch, then, and this will be more of our topic later as we talk about the trade deadline, does there then need to be a switch to your group? Because if this group, after 60 games, can't seem to figure that out and get it together for any you know prolonged period of time, is this a, is this a group you're comfortable moving forward with? And I think that that's something that, you know, we've been able to avoid really having that tough discussion because of how well the Kraken had played through most of this season. But as they really struggle here and as everybody is looking at the standings going like, oh, the playoffs, which seemed certain for so long, are now very much starting to look in doubt. I mean, do we have to have that discussion, RJ? <laughs> Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I think we will have that discussion later yes. on in this podcast, you know, as far as what they want to do at the trade deadline. And I think Ron Francis definitely has, uh, you know, some issues on his hands that he's got to make some decisions there. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of hashing that out. I mean, on the positive side of, you know, even though you're dropping these points, when you look at the standings, yes, I think there is some reason for optimism, Agreed. mostly because, I mean, you know, pulling up the Western Conference standings right here, mm -hmm. you kind of have a solid eight to nine teams, but really eight, unless the Flames get their act together. You know, there's a pretty big gap between Seattle at eight and basically, mm -hmm. you know, nine, ten. And I mean, Nashville is already a major seller. You know, yep. they, they've just sold off some big pieces. They're going to probably head downwards. Uh, you know, St. Louis and, and everybody below that is going to be out of it. So really, you're left with nine teams for eight spots and mm -hmm. Calgary being that ninth team. And I mean, they just are not looking very good right now either. Right. So uh, thankfully, at least it, it looks like it's still a good proposition as far as getting in. But you do have to start worrying about seating. You know, you don't want to play whichever team comes out of the West hottest. Exactly. And I talked about this a little bit um, before you were able to join us on the uh, on post game after that Leafs game about, look, it's not just Seattle. You look at the team Seattle's really, really going at it with and you look at an Edmonton and they're four, two and four. Now, the one thing you could say in their last 10, the one thing you could say about them is, yeah, they only got the four wins. They at least got four loser points. Like they're finding ways of losing in overtime and banking points, which is kind of what you need to be doing this time of year. But you look at Calgary three, four and three again, they're not performing very well right now either. So it's it's kind of nice in the sense that if Seattle is kind of taking a step back, it seems like those teams closest to them are also starting to take a step back right now. And that does help keep this from looking as you know, as bad as it could be looking potentially if everybody else was playing super hot and uh, the Kraken were going through the same rough stretch, things could look very different. They could look a lot worse. And the bottom line is that they don't. Another thing, just before we kind of go game by game, because I do want to get to that game by game breakdown is, you know, we talked about it on the post game live yesterday after that Toronto game, that Toronto game felt very much just like a game from last season. The Sharks game felt very much like a game from last season. And let's just take a moment to appreciate that, you know, that was just our reality last year. And now those very much feel like outliers, like what the heck just happened? Like that wasn't good, whatever. You know what I mean? Like it feels very much like it came out of left field where that was just the place we were living in last year. So it shows just how far this team has come year over year and, and um, how, how kind of spoiled we've been, we've been with how good this team has played. <laughs> Agreezy. I agree. I agree. <laughs> it's 
That's a good one right <laughs> there. Up for so Agreed. It's easy to take that for granted, you know, when, when you see the success the team has had this year. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and, and Dave Haxtell brought this up after the Toronto game too. He's like, look, this is a better spot than, than a lot of people thought we'd be in at this time of the season. And like, we'll take this. 23 games, however many games to go, all meaningful. We'll take that. So worth keeping that in mind. That's true. Absolutely. All right. So let's go game by game real quick here. Let's just let's start with the Maple Leafs game just because we've talked about it a lot. And it really was that kind of final cherry on this past week. Um, but I, I want to talk about it. We talked about the faceoffs, 29% again. That's really bad. 0-2 on the power play. Those are power plays later in the game, too, where you had a chance to get back in it and you weren't able to get into it. But the place I want to start with, RJ, is with Philip Grubauer, because really, and this wasn't all his fault at all, but he gets pulled for Martin Jones in this one. And this was by far and away the worst statistical performance that Philip Grubauer has had in a while. Yeah, certainly this calendar year. Uh, and you kind of felt it from the start, too. He just looked off of his game. I tell you, being there in the building uh, and getting to watch him, you know, the, the way he positioned himself, the way he was moving across the crease, something just felt off. I, he didn't look like, you know, his normal self from this year. And then, of course, that first goal that goes through him, the, the Giordano goal. Yeah. Uh, you have to stop that. I mean, that's yeah. just a goal that goes right through you. Um, and also, that's just kind of a pivotal moment in the game, too. Again, you said this game felt like last season. There were a lot of those early goals against last season that just kind of set the tone in the worst way for the Kraken. I felt like that was one of them. I, like you said, this game was, you know, it was not Grubauer's fault entirely by any means. But he just had an off night. And I think you have to acknowledge that can happen for any goalie. It just wasn't his night. He wasn't feeling it. Um, and I, I was kind of thinking that after, you know, the third goal. And then also, you know, Mitch Marner scores a goal that doesn't end up counting. You know, it was mm -hmm. uh, on a delayed penalty. The Kraken got a touch. But, you know, he lets that in for, clean from that spot. At that point, I kind of knew, okay, you know, this isn't – he's not feeling it. Um, so, yeah, but it, it is, you know, I, I don't want to even say unsettling because it's just one game. Right. You know, basically all calendar year. But, uh, yeah, he just wasn't on it that uh, last night. Yeah, and that's that's why, I, you know, originally it was like, oh, okay, content creator brain is going. And it's like, oh, do we talk about like, oh, is this the, the first signs that maybe uh, Hackstall needs to start up with the switch or, or to try to – even things out as far as workload with a Martin Jones. The problem is it, I don't know, things just for everybody on the crack were so off last night. It's, it's kind of hard for me to say like, okay, we need to be on it there. Cause I've talked in the past about, I want Hackstall to try to be a little bit more like, you know, trying to read it before it totally gets there as far as which goalie is going to be your one a as part of this tandem. But I don't know that you can use last game. Um, entirely to say like oh, okay i think we should start transitioning back to martin jones yeah i i don't think so and especially jones has got to show you that that he's better also which hey he did well in relief in that game yep. you know he only allowed one goal and it was on this perfectly executed three on two gorgeous play by the leafs like you can't blame him at all for that um, but otherwise he looked solid so maybe he can build some momentum off of that mm -hmm. um but yeah i think jones has to show you more as well yeah i was gonna say we'll get to him when we talk about the sharks game but <laughs> with this uh with this uh maple leafs game uh one of the things that was also and this is a big part of the boston narrative as well you, you get the response goals are back, right? Talking about feeling like last year, that Mark Giordano goal, 
it's, it's a response goal, right? You got this incredible offensive sequence. It results in this Vince Dunn goal. It's one of the prettiest goals the Kraken, from like an offensive X's and O's standpoint, have been able to pull off all season long, RJ. And then that kind of crushing response goal there. Saw it multiple times in the Boston game. I mean, that that the entire Boston game was just response goals for both teams. <laughs> that was just the only way anybody seemed to be able to score. But it was just... I don't know. It's it's one of those where it's it's starting to get a little concerning again. It is just the, the fact that that's cropping up and, and especially as you head toward the playoffs and you need to be able if you score a big momentum goal, I think even playoff hockey is even more about momentum than regular season hockey. Yes, it's very just much. The, the ebbs and flows of a series like that. If you score a big goal or, or you know, a goal in any any point in the game, you have to be able to prevent that momentum from going right back the other way against you. Uh, it is absolutely crucial in playoff hockey and especially good teams, experienced teams will take advantage of that. And you see how they come out for shifts after they've just allowed a goal. And again, it's the kind of problem the Kraken just, you know, need to find a way to fix. And and I think, again, it's, it's just a mindset thing, right? Um, yeah. you, you're going for the shift after a goal you just scored, you know, it's coming, you know, a push is coming. Yes you just have to play solid defensively. And and going back to that Bruins game, the the one goal that Haxtell said just can't happen is the tying goal, uh, you know, where, where Boston ties it late in the third after the Kraken went ahead on the Schwartz goal, where he said, look, we, we didn't make them earn that one. They weren't defending that hard. I mean, it was the kind of play where um, I forget who it was that finished it off, but they were kind of wide open on the other side of the ice with everybody on the Kraken over on one side. It's that kind of focus that you have for most of the game. You just got to make sure to have it on that shift. Such a pivotal shift. Uh, agreed. No, it's it's definitely one of those things they're going to have to figure out here because that you just can't continue to live like that. Essentially, is <laughs> you're, you're never going to, to find success. Certainly later in the season and come postseason time. The final thing that I want to talk about in this one was I felt like this was by far and away the Kraken's worst forechecking game in a long time, in the sense that it just didn't happen. <laughs> I'm struggling to remember <laughs> like much. any moment in which like the forecheck made any sort of difference whatsoever. And then also offensively, I talked about how incredible that Vince Dunn goal sequence was. Otherwise though, I have no idea what the Kraken were trying to do in the offensive zone against this Toronto team, a Toronto team that as the Vince Dunn goal showed you is very exploitable on the back end. Like you can make things happen against them. If you want it, you just have to put in a little bit of, of work and Instead, what we saw last night, RJ, and this is something we talked about on the deep dive for months in post-game lives, all sorts of stuff. We talked about one thing, and that's net front presence, right? And the Kraken need to have a net front presence. Well, last night we saw something different as I pull out the whiteboard here for those with the yes. video version. And we saw something like this where instead of having no net front presence, we had too much net front presence where we stuck two guys net front right there at the crease and then just left some poor puck carrier to try to figure out a way of doing something all on their own, all like over here doing all sorts of stuff and just being surrounded by maple leaves because what is one person, one person supposed to do? The defense didn't activate and come down to help them. They stayed up at the blue line. And so there was multiple times last night, RJ from different lines where we saw that look where one time it was Brandon Tandev just, just holding onto the puck. He's got no, he's got essentially got nothing to do with it because you've got, two guys net front just battling net front for positioning. I'm like, what was that? I have no idea where that came from. It was such a massive overcorrection, but I've just never seen that at the NHL level ever, RJ. Two guys net front like that, like in the crease net front. 
yeah, and, and you know, five on five is you're trying to circle around and, and you know and, and make something happen. Usually, what what'll happen is if the puck carrier doesn't have any options to go to the DR and activating, you know, one of those guys will just kind of circle out and give him an outlet. Um, but it, it really wasn't happening, and um, I don't know. I mean, the, the the Kraken generated some some you know decent chances in the second and third period as they were putting on a push. You know, a lot of those on the power play too, and, and yeah. we, you know, talk about that a little bit. The power play actually looked all right at times. Um, but uh, yeah, it just it was an interesting departure there, an interesting adjustment because you didn't see that like right early in the game. I mean, looking no. at that done goal, the D's activating, you're having guys you know hit the the Leafs with speed, which is what you need to do. Right. Um, but it, it just seemed like they kind of got thrown off after that Leafs onslaught at the end of the first, and they're like, okay, we need to change something, and that was the that was the answer. Yeah, we just need to just have a wall of bodies in front of Samsonov. <laughs> I guess. Well, I mean, hey, look, they, you know, they're like, oh, well, the Leafs throw a bunch of guys, you know, at yes. that spot, and they they throw pucks to the high danger areas, and they win yeah. the battles once they're there. You know, maybe we'll get a bounce like on the Tavares goal, but uh, those bounces don't happen too often. No, they they don't. You can't rely on that. And that, oh man, that Tavares goal hurts because we talked about it last night. Everybody was in the right spot. Both defenders are taking guys net front. You got Yanagord back checking into the crease essentially on Tavares. It was just a half second window, and the Leafs were able to capitalize on it. It was that was a rough one. Um, yeah, I, you know, talk about the Vince Dunn goal one last time. That works because you've got players crisscrossing through the zone. They're playing east-west through the zone. That confuses defenses. Guys are having to trade off defensive assignments. That is always where you can open up space. You can open up gaps, not just for passes, but for bodies. Very much just like Vince Dunn. He activated right into a gap there in the slot and was able to score a beautiful goal. I want to see more of that from the Kraken. That's the way they need to be start playing in the offensive zone. Certainly, if when you know you get a, a Burakovsky back, like I feel like that would open up his game so much, and maybe we can see then more consistent playmaking from him. You know, we've talked about how he's a streaky guy. Talk about Oliver Bjorkstrand has really been the only consistent East-West player on this Kraken team all year long, but we know the kind of success he can have when he plays that way. I thought that that Vince Dunn goal was a good example of how this team should be playing and the results that they could expect if they played that way more consistently. Um, all right, so let's let's go back in time. Uh, let's. Well, I guess we'll just work in reverse. Let's go back to the Boston game. This was a fantastic game. I know it was a loss. It was disappointing in that regard, but it was one of the most fun hockey games I've ever seen, RJ. <laughs> I know. Such a fun game to, to be there in person for that one. I mean, when you have players on the losing team like Yanni Gord saying that that was a fun game to play in, uh, you know, like right after the game when it, you'd think you'd be kind of the most frustrated about losing and all of that, uh, you know, you know, it was a good game. And uh, yeah, just the back and forth, the response goals and and, and for both sides, too. Yep. We talked about the crack and having a response goal issue. This was just a, a, a this game thing for both teams. Yep. You know, it, no lead was safe. And that's what made it so exciting. Um, and, and also just how much offense there was, too. I mean, the, the teams never really just kind of batten down the hatches at any point. Mm -hmm. um, it was just so, so much offense, but great work to create it, too. It was just like the teams were trading dominant offensive zone shifts with a strong forecheck, good puck retrieval, all the things you want to see as a coach and just back and forth, you know, one team would do it. Then the you know line change, the other yep. team does it such a fun game. Yep. And 11 goals scored by 11 different goal scorers. That is, that is definitely a rarity in this league, but it was a lot of fun to watch as far as like major takeaways. I think the only takeaway you can have from this one is look, this Boston team is 44, eight and five going into that game. That's incredible. Like absolutely incredible. 
Like, and the Kraken were right there with them start to finish. Well, at least until the last, like, three minutes, maybe. But <laughs> the point yeah. is, the Kraken played them really, really tough. We obviously, we know we were able to go into Boston, give them their first home loss of the season in regulation there. Um, you knew Boston was going to want revenge for that. There's very few things that can motivate any team like revenge. And for Boston, given how well they've played this year, very few opportunities for them to seek out revenge. But this was one of them. And uh, look, they were able to get it done. But I thought the Kraken, like they, for me, answered a lot of questions about, you know, when we were asking, where are they in, you know, in terms of the rest of the playoff teams and the rest of that pack? If you looked at this Boston game, you'd say they're right there. Yeah, and it shows that they still have that level of play in them. We talked about it being over a month since they've beaten a playoff team. But uh, you know, you can't question their ability to go toe-to-toe with with a team like that when, you know, Boston comes to town and and the Kraken I mean, you have a lead on them with, you know, under 5 minutes to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a back and forth game like that. So I think ultimately it's a, a reassuring sign looking back at the week. And and Vince Dunn said, I mean, he said it after the Leafs game. But he said like we're not far off from the good hockey that we were playing and, you know, the peacock we need to be playing. Like we are really close there. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the Boston game, you know, they'll make you feel like that for sure. You know, it it hurts going forward to not even get a single point out of that one. But uh, still a lot of reassuring signs there. Yeah. Do you think that that should have been a bigger story for us? Is not just blowing the lead kind of late in the game, but the fact that twice earlier in the game, the Kraken had leads as well. Like, do you think that should have been a little bit more talked about? I mean, looking back at it, perhaps it certainly didn't feel that way that night in the building. It just felt like this was the kind of crazy, you know, momentum that this game had. Um, and that every, you're kind of just along with it. And and I will say it, it hockey is one of those sports where it feels like sometimes the momentum of a game could just take on a life of its own. And there's yes. not really anything you can do to stop it. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you've been to games like that, you know what I mean, you know, listening to this. And, and it just felt like one of those. So I, I almost I just didn't even, you know, I, I thought about it, but I didn't think to blame the Kraken on that one. Maybe on that last one where, you know somehow you've got to find a way to not lose in regulation yes. when you're up by one at the end there. There's a, there's a, um, little enough time left that you can just somehow make sure to to hang on to things. But again, if you go into that defensive shell, Boston's going to eat you up. So yep. I don't know. It's just, it's tough. Yeah, it's it's really tough against a team like this Boston team. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea. The other thing um, was in as far as like a negative from this game, I felt like this was actually a worse defensive performance than the Leafs game from the Kraken. As far as <laughs> defenders losing guys in the middle, especially like the centers not being in the right spots defensively. Like I felt like the centers really for that Toronto game corrected from what we saw from them in this Boston game. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose I'd agree with that. Well, I, I'd say, you know, the mitigating factor, I think Boston did a lot more to cause those, those you know, the True. defensive issues, I think the way that they pass the puck, I mean, I, I texted you this during the game, but it reminds me of those you know, mid-2010s Ducks teams where they will just slice you apart with passes. And even if you're trying to keep your head on a swivel and be in the right spot always, the way they move the puck is going to pull you out of position somehow. Um, and it's very difficult. I feel like the Leafs didn't do as much to, to force the errors that were there. Um, and, you know, there were some lucky bounces like the Tavares goal. But, yeah. you know, the Kraken did adjust well. But I got to give some credit to Boston on that, though. Yeah, well, there's a reason they're in the position they're in, right? Uh, and then finally, the first game from this past week, and this one's a tough one for everybody involved. 
again, I think the only good thing any of us can say is that, you know, we're happy for you to have been able to cover a game at <laughs> SAP Center. Uh, but that's, that says a lot in and of itself, RJ. That, that San Jose game was just awful. No way around. It that. was. I mean, all, all around, it was one of maybe two games all season where the Kraken just, you know, I feel comfortable saying this, just didn't show up at all they they never really did um and it was against a very depleted sharks team a sharks team without timo meyer or tomas hurdle uh you know there's there's no you know real high-end players on that roster outside of eric carlson left um yeah the kraken didn't need probably their their full effort to beat the sharks that day uh but they needed some and and they didn't really bring any and i you almost feel like you want to just write that game off there's Mm -hmm. you could go through the x's and o's but like when you bring that level of effort to a game, you're not going to beat any NHL team on any day. Yeah, we, we're we're not going to hang on it too long. You talk about the effort thing, and that's one of the two things that I wanted to talk about from this game. Because uh, I, I did feel like, you know, through most of this season, something that we've been hammering home about the Seattle Kraken team is that they never give up. They never have low effort games. They always feel like they can come back and win it, even if they're down by three with a minute left. They always play like they are still in the game and that we've all been very, very proud of that effort level and of the way that this team has played. But I look at this Sharks game especially, and then I also look at aspects of the Toronto game once it kind of got out of hand for them. And those are the two times this season, and it's the only two times, but it's concerning because they happened less than a week apart, where I feel like that effort, that same level of effort wasn't quite there for the Seattle Kraken team. Interesting. I mean, I dis- I would actually disagree with you on the Toronto game. I thought they put on some good pushes there and like responded well in the second period and they, they didn't go away. And the, the third was, you know, OK, well, we, you know, we put on this push and then it didn't work. And now it's kind of too late. Um, but I, I disagree with you on the Toronto game. But San Jose and then I, I would say the Islanders game would be the other one, the first one back after the all star break. But I, it is, you know, it is a little bit concerning to see that, especially with, at this time of year with, with the points on the line like that, that you, you don't have, basically you just don't wake up at any point in the San Jose mm-hmm. game because there were times, you know, you go down one nothing, 2 nothing, like at a certain point that that panic meter has to hit, right? Um, and it just never did. So it's something to monitor going forward, but I, I'm not all that concerned about it. If we see another game like the San Jose game, certainly with a lot of non-playoff teams coming up on the schedule, then I'll I'll really get ready on the panic button there. Yeah, I had forgotten about that Islanders game because I completely blocked it from my memory. But it does kind of keep a, a, a trend going because you look at that Islanders game, you look at the Sharks game, and then you look at also the same kind of comments coming out of that Toronto game of it they were boring, right? And I think that that's, yeah. that is part of it because for so much of this year, the Seattle Kraken have not been a boring team. And I think that's been tied kind of to that energy and effort level that they've played with, regardless of scores. They keep the games interesting. They don't make you want to kind of doze off or want to change the channel. But in those three games, that was kind of the feeling a lot of people had uh, looking at Twitter, looking on Discord, being in the postgame comments. So that's kind of why I, I lumped that Toronto game in there. The final thing that I want to talk about from this one, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, Martin Jones. Do you, do you just kind of like like with Philip Grubauer in the Toronto game, do you just kind of write this one off as a one-off and say, look, no, nobody was playing that well, can't read too much into it? I mean, I, I guess to an extent, but with Jones, it was the continuation was of a pattern. 
Yeah, it, it was bad. And also because this, his previous few games also didn't look very good. And so I think you have to kind of lump it in with those as well. You know, from that road trip post All-Star break, you know, that that Rangers game where he's kind of struggling to track the puck well and all of that. Um, you know, the, the Noah Gregor goal, I, I think of in that Sharks game where you, you just need a save there to keep you yep. within striking distance. At that point, when that goal is scored, it, it's game over pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, you need a save there. I, I think it's really good that Jones came in in that Toronto game and looked good. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm happy to see that, like really happy because again, he didn't look good in that San Jose game. Nobody did, but I don't know. I, I would, I would be more concerned about him than the rest of the team from that performance. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, all right. So final, final thoughts on, on not really the week, but as we look towards the week ahead and the trade deadline being Friday, Based on this past week, RJ, and based on the questions we had been asking about this team on last week's deep dive, do we feel like there has to be a a greater sense of urgency for Ron Francis to maybe try to make a move, try to make an addition here? Or do we think that, look, it's just sort of bad timing for these games to have all kind of happened in the week kind of leading into the trade deadline? You know, I, I don't think that Ron Francis is going to deviate from his plan here. I'm, I'm sticking with that. I mean, as much as the losses piling up really does, you know, make you think, do you want to approach it differently? I think he's going to stick with what his plan is. And I don't think he's going to force a move. Certainly not you know, any kind of panic move because they're losing. I think if the team had been winning, you know, if they were on a seven game win streak or something, then maybe that would you know, cause him to think differently and, and not necessarily make a panic move, but, uh, you know, okay, we really ought to go for it move. Um, but I think it's probably, if anything, more likely that he stands pat at the deadline. I don't see him doing a whole lot, maybe a minor trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that's, that's just what I'm thinking. Uh, I mean, what do you, what do you think going? I, I mostly agree with that. I, I, I don't think we're going to see anything from him. I feel like some of the people that you would have gotten if you were going to really go for it and really say like, okay, this, we actually feel really good about this group. And we think that there's a, there's a good chance that, you know, look, if we get hot, we can make a significant run this year. I think the players that you would have gone out and acquired are already gone, right? You, you brought up Ryan O'Reilly. I think that would have been perfect for them. Uh, we saw him last night help contribute to crushing the crack. So good. That line is absolutely broken him with Tavares and Nylander. It's, it's unbelievable how good that line is playing right now for them. Uh, so I look at guys like Ryan O'Reilly being off the board and then I look around the rest of the league and I go, I don't know what the Kraken would do. I know there's still maybe a want or a need for another puck moving defenseman, but that's not the thing that's going to take you from this kind of you know borderline playoff team to legit Stanley Cup threat. And if it's not going to be something that's going to take you to that next level there, I don't see really the point in then making the move. You know what I mean? Right. And, and that's exactly where I'm at. And I kind of, you know, just like map this out in my head, really, where you look at what the issues are with this team. And as we discussed, mm-hmm. you know, basically they're finishing. And, you know, the defense is a bit sloppy. Like, do you change someone out on the blue line? Right. And look, starting with the finishing, I mean, you're not selling out for a difference maker. You know, that's pr- very probably not. If you're going to do that, you'd go trade for Timo Meyer or, you know, Bo yeah. Horvat or someone that's already gone. Um, and then any depth, you know, for, for like depth finishing or even a face-off guy, like, I don't know how much of an upgrade it really is. I mean, Sam Lafferty just got traded right before we started recording this. You know, those depth face-off, ads like are they that much of an upgrade over morgan geeky 
I don't know. I, you know, you have to start thinking like, okay, well, it's like a Nico Sturm from San Jose enough of an upgrade on your fourth line to be worth doing anything about. And I don't think he is. No. So, you know, you're looking at that. And then on defense, you know, are, are you adding a, a Gavrikov? I think that qualifies as kind of selling out for a difference maker. And I don't think you want to do that in this spot. Um, you know, a lot, and the defense market's pretty inflated too. Does a, you know, does a, uh, a Luke Shen make any kind of difference on this blue line? I don't think he does. Um, there, there just aren't a whole lot of moves, potential moves left that make any sense, in my opinion. I mean, the the other key though. Well, here I'll 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 go to you here just to see if I mean, do you, do you agree on this? Like, just yeah. the moves don't. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. Certainly if it's going to be a rental, the only moves that make sense is if you're getting somebody who has control past this season that can be part of your three to five year window that we're in year two of. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, Ron Francis... I think he likes to look for players that use it, borrowing the old, you know, Doug Wilson terminology I'm familiar with that makes sense for now and the future. Right. Um, you know, I, I do like that term. Now, question I got to ask you here, because this is something that we've thought about leading up to the deadline. It's been discussed quite a bit mm-hmm. and it should be, you know, kind of put in a new light, I think, with the Kraken losing some games and maybe slipping in the standings a little bit. We've talked about being a buyer and how a lot of yeah. those moves don't make sense. But the Kraken are still in this position where they could potentially, in effect, be a seller at the deadline, which is weird to think about. And the move to make would be to move Carson Soucy. There would probably be some interest there. You know, it's been rumored that maybe even you could fetch a first round pick. I think that's a lot. You know, if you can do it, you really got to think about it. But if you're Ron Francis, do these losses make you more strongly consider moving Carson Soucy? Oh, that's really, really tough. I feel like you've probably already fielded all the calls on Carson Soucy, so you know what the offers are. I don't think there's that many dominoes left to fall that that people would be waiting on before giving you kind of a best and final on Carson Soucy. Gavrikov would be the only one I'd think of. Yeah, that's that's the only one, and for whatever reason, Columbus seems like just hell-bent on getting way too much for him is what it very much feels like so in that sense maybe you could try to take advantage of the market and just go like here's Carson Soucy costs a lot less basically like gonna give you the same level of performance but maybe um yeah but uh I... go tell Columbus to go kick rocks make a deal with me <laughs> exactly go after Yarmo it's not the red glare I shouldn't go on my Yarmo rant um but it's um it, I would I would definitely consider it because the bottom line is if Carson Soucy is not going to be somebody who's going to help you in the and future part of that, you know, um, saying that you right. brought up, then there's there's no point really holding on to him now. As we've seen just in this last week, he was he was getting rotated out for Jacob Magna anyway. So I almost wonder, do you think those were instances where there was maybe a trade starting to look like it could happen? And so they held him out just to not have him get hurt, you think? I don't think so. Uh, okay. I've, yeah, no. I know you've I, been what I saw. And... I, I, yeah, exactly. And especially like go being in that, you know, going to that game in San Jose. You know, you kind of hear things about like, oh, you know, why decisions are made and all that. I don't think a, a trade was brewing. I think it was really just a desire to get Magna into another game, which is yeah. something you'd want to do anyway, just yep. to keep him fresh, keep getting into games. So I don't think a, a trade was close there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think on the Susi issue, like if you can get a first round pick or equivalent value for Carson Soucy, I think you do it. If, yeah, if, if I'm Ron Francis, if it's me making that decision, 
that's what I'm doing. And it puts you in a great spot because you can stand firm on your price. And if you don't move him, it's not the end of the world. And other right. GMs know you mean business. Yes. Like that's a great thing where you don't have to budge on your price at all. And you shouldn't. Uh, and the signal that that sends around the league. So I think he's in a great spot on that. But if you do get that offer, I think you have to take it. The one thing I wonder about, though, is optics. Mm -hmm. and how much that plays into Ron Francis's mindset. I know ideally as a GM, you'd like to block all that stuff out. Yep. You don't want to think about, you know, how this is going to look from the outside. You can just make the best moves for your team. But I do think that could be a factor here, knowing that if that's the only move you make, you have become, in effect, a seller at the deadline. Yep. And with your team fighting for a playoff spot, and especially, especially if they just go on another bad run and they somehow miss the playoffs, mm -hmm. how that's going to look on you at the end of the season. The fact that you were a seller at the deadline, you know, given where this team is at and yeah, I think really needing to get into some playoff games just, you know, for the market's sake to make your impact here. Right. I, I worry. I think I, I wonder if that's going through Ron Francis's head. And I know he hinted at. Uh, he he um, did an interview with John Forslund before, you know, on, on Root Sports before the last game during the pregame show. And he hinted at Carson Soucy being their, you know, quote unquote, trade deadline rental, you know, um, being basically being someone that you you already just decide, OK, that's going to be our guy, even though he's a UFA, we'll hang on to him. I think he's kind of laying the groundwork for that potentially and maybe knowing that it's not going to look good if you were to move him, even if you get a good deal. Yeah, it it definitely wouldn't. It you do worry about the message it sends to the rest of your team from a confidence standpoint. You look at, you know, we've seen that effect happen a lot for teams that have gone out and made moves and you see then the result of that and the teams really like take off cuz it's like, "Oh, okay, hey, guess what? Management believes in us. They think we've got a good chance." And that that confidence does translate. When you're talking about a sport like hockey, where you're having to play that 82 game grind of a schedule and you're talking about the way games are played and the the kind of just flowy nature of it and how big momentum swings can be confidence totally comes into play and i think you know that that is always one of the best ways to kind of give your team a shot in the arm this time of year where everything is is slowing down and you're you're 60 games in and everybody's banged up and tired and when you see teams make like an aggressive addition you just can see that extra life it brings the organization and i do think that that a, a, a Susie move could have the opposite effect, especially because your team is struggling right now, especially because after the all-star break, you're three, six and one, and you're having games like that Boston game where you can't get to overtime, or you're having games like that San Jose game where you just have like zero effort level through from start to finish. And I think that that, that would be a very worrying thing. It'd be one thing if the Kraken were playing super well and you've got Megna and he's coming in for Susie and he's playing super well, then like, you know, I, I think a team could survive that a lot easier. But based on how things are right now, I agree. I don't think it would send a great message. And you all of a sudden worry, does that become the thing that tips you to be that one team out of the picture come playoff time? And, and you really can't afford to do that um, to this fan base and to the organization right. this year. So I, I agree yeah, with you right. that that would be something I'd have to very strongly consider. Yeah, I mean, Francis has talked about messing with the the chemistry a lot uh, and not wanting to do that, in, mostly in terms of making an ad that would kind of push someone else out yes. of the spot. But you have to think about it the other way, too. And I, I think it's worth mentioning, too. Carson Soucy, very well liked in the room. Right. Uh, you know, that, that <laughs> would not uh, be a, a favored move with a lot of the players, I would think. No, probably not. Um, so that that's kind of a good segue here into the the big trade idea I have for the Kraken. 
Okay. And just remember the Carson Susie thing. One of the things that I want to, I want to bring up and ask you as, as we transition into this idea, RJ, as, after we both kind of agreed, be fine for the Kraken just to stand pat. You don't need to go out or, or do yeah. anything. Uh, but we did, we did get a, a message from uh, TJ Singletone, one of our patrons, one of the great members of our discord, everything like that. And he asked the question uh, for the pod, which was, would you prefer the Kraken to use all three of their second round picks this year or trade for a controllable player? Right. Because obviously, if you're trading away the picks, it's one thing to do it for a rental. As we talked about, this is not a, a team in position to trade for a rental. It would have to be for someone with some control there. Would you trade um, these second round picks for someone with some control? So just the idea of it's a super deep draft this year, RJ, where these Very. second these second round picks could be like the equivalent of first round picks in other draft years. Would you prefer that the Kraken kept all three of those second round picks and just really built out this prospect pool? Or would you would you prefer that they go out and try to find a trade where they can bring someone in to help out this year and in the future? With how good the Kraken's amateur scouting has been, I, I, I think I'd actually prefer them to hang on to the picks. And, okay. and the more that I look at this draft class, mm-hmm. it looks so deep and so strong. The players that you can get with those second round picks... I mean, I'm just like kind of salivating at the idea of the Kraken, you know, amateur scouting staff having three picks in the second round of this draft. Um, and especially knowing where their timeline is really for, for contending, I think. Um, I'd rather they hang on to them. I, again, if you get a great deal, I'll use the run, you know, the GM yes. answer here, you know, if there's a deal that makes sense, of course you've got to make it and you can get better for now in the future. But I certainly wouldn't force anything. But I'm eager to hear what you have in mind that, that might, uh, sway me here on this opinion yeah so in my opinion i i mostly agree with you i'd rather hold on to them or i'd hold on to them till draft day and then if there's a player i like because you look at these at these second round picks it's seattle second round pick toronto second round pick winnipeg second round pick these aren't exactly going to be top of the second round level picks right so i, I think at the very least you have to hold on to them um until draft day and then if look there's a player fallen to the end of the first round that you're in love with or a player at the start of the second that you're in love with maybe you do some sort of bundle there and you you trade up a little bit but i think you'd want to have that capital on draft day to use that in that way um there's only one trade that i i would have the kraken you know in this incredible upcoming draft dump picks Okay, this is one trade. You've been, you've been, you've been up all night. You said trying to guess who I'm going to bring up here. RJ. I know I couldn't, I couldn't sleep well because I was just trying to figure out who you were, uh, you know, who you were going after here. I, I, I have no inclination here. So you all listening to this are finding out at the same time as I am. This would be, I, yeah. Let me have it, Dylan. Yeah, this would be the blockbuster of all blockbusters. Okay, it would be the talk of the NHL town. I think the Seattle Kraken should try to make a trade. For Jacob Chikrin. That is the player. Oh, okay. I I should have known you wouldn't have let that go. I know you, I, it seemed like you were joking when you uh, talked yeah. the other day about like, oh, you know, if LA can't get a deal done, Ron Francis, swoop in, swoop in, do this, do this. Okay. Make but, your case, Dylan. All right. So we've talked about with the Seattle Kraken. They've, they've got some good young forwards. 
You've got somebody like Vince Dunn, who's certainly in line for a nice contract extension. Looks like can be a solid piece of this blue line for a long time. You and I both know, though, the importance of having a defenseman on your team that come playoff time can play 29, 30 minutes a night, can move the puck, can be solid defensively, can do all of those things that you need them to do. I think Jacob Chikrin is that guy. I think the only negative to him is that he does have an injury history. Like That's the, the only negative with Jacob Chikrin. But when I look at him, he's 24. You look at the fact that he's He's got two years under contract at an extremely, a steal of a contract at 4.6 million, right? So you'd get him for a playoff run this year. You have him for two years after that. And then at that point, you can look at, you know, re-upping him. The cap will have gone up by then. Like who knows what kind of situation the, the whole team will be in as far as, you know, extensions for, for Matty Beniers, a potential Shane Wright, all that kind of stuff. But I, I look at it and I go, if I could have three years of Jacob Chikrin, I, I want to have that three years because that helps us this year. That that probably helps solidify the defense enough that you definitely can make the playoffs this year. And then the two years after that, it helps you come playoff time, try to make substantial runs. And the contract is enough that you don't have to really do anything to the rest of your team. That is just a very manageable, easy to digest contract. So I look at, well, what would that take? Because we obviously know Arizona wants a lot for Jacob Chikrin, as they should. But every day that goes by, every year that passes, because this was you know a talk at last year's trade deadline when he had three plus more years of team control, every every offseason and trade deadline that passes for Arizona, it's less and less team control on his contract and the asking price is going to have to come down. That's just the way it is, right? I look at what would it take to, to do it. So pretend you're in charge of the Arizona Coyotes, RJ, and I'm Ron Francis, right. and I call you up. You're Bill Armstrong. I call you up and I say, we want Jacob Chikrin. Here's our offer. Okay. Our first round pick this year. All three of our second Keep round. Keep talking. All three of our second round picks. Okay. So that's four very valuable picks this year. One prospect, your choice, that isn't Shane Wright. You can have any other prospect from our organization but Shane Wright. You want Riker Evans? You got Riker Evans. You want Jagger Furcus? It's Jagger Furcus. Ty Nelson? It's Ty Nelson. Okay. And Carson Soucy, who you can then go and flip, but Carson Soucy makes the money work on our end. It's less money for you, and then you can flip him potentially for another first. So he's a good trade deadline asset for you to have while you still have, you know, almost a full week to work with. If you're Bill Armstrong, do you take that deal? Man, I, I thought you were going to come in weak with an offer here, but you didn't. No, I had to make it realistic. And this is the only year where you can leverage the idea of having three second round picks as those three second round picks really being valuable because of how deep this draft class is. And so, yes, it's a sellout from the Kraken standpoint, but you've already drafted extremely well if you're the Kraken. You have your young core. This gives you another young defenseman to have for these these really solid contention years you have. I think if you're the Kraken, I would be considering it. I, yeah, again, I'm, I'm going back to being Bill Armstrong here in his chair. I, if it's me, I take that deal. Yeah. Cause I, it, I really, cause you're talking a late, uh, you know, a late first in a deep draft class. Yep. You're talking picks that could be packaged for another late first in a deep draft class. If you want to yep. do that, um, you're talking about, I mean, again, the, the, the key here again, if I, is if I'm Armstrong, I'm looking for that best potential like prospect piece to match with the core that I'm building around mm -hmm. in Arizona. And 
I, I, I'm asking for Byfield from the Kings. I'm asking for uh, Grant Clark from the Kings. Sounds like the Kings don't want to give up either of those two. But I want more of a sure thing. The fact that I can grab any prospect aside from Shane Wright, because that's, of course, my yeah. first ask, off the Kraken. You know, the fact that I can do that and, and kind of pick someone basically that's going to fill whatever need, you know, do I want like Jagger Furcus just add to the ridiculous amount of scoring I'm going to have, you know, with, with Cooley, with with, um, with Gunther, you know, do I want to grab like a Ty Nelson who I think it can fit on the blue line. Right. And then, and then Susie again, who's, who's probably, you know, a, a late at first least or high, a second round pick. Yeah. At least a second round pick in this, in, in the upcoming draft, another deep draft. I, it just adds up to to more than I think you know LA's offer is if they're not willing to move, you know uh, Clark or Byfield. I might I might even go back to LA and be like, look, I've got this offer. I'm gonna take it unless you give me one of Clark or Byfield. Last call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. love having this offer in my back pocket. I thank you for letting me play GM here. This yes. is great. Um, so yeah, you know I I would I would I'd be like, hang on one sec. I'll get back to you by the end of the day. <laughs> and then if, if I'm the driving into a tunnel, hold on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then if the Kings don't play ball, I'm accepting your offer. So I think that's fair. Now I guess we got to go to doesn't this make sense for the Kraken to do? Right. Because that is a hefty package. It is a lot. I mean, you're talking about a good prospect, right? R- regardless of who it is, whether it's Evans, Nelson, Fergus, whoever. Uh, it's it's you're losing a prospect and then like you know we've talked about all this podcast how deep this draft class is how incredible this draft class is you're losing four in top 64 picks in the in this draft class picks that you worked hard last year to get you know what i mean like like you did a fantastic job getting but you're also ron francis has already put this organization in a place where you have maddie beniers you have shane wright you have you had four second round picks last year to help build out this prospect pool. You have those good prospects. You'd only be losing one of. And you look at at look my my team scouts really well. I I trust in them. I trust in 2024 in 2025. We're going to be getting guys in the first and second round that are going to be able to come in and help us out during our competitive window. I you know what I mean? Like you you have you have that thought process. But it, I mean it is it is an, a lot a lot a lot. But uh, it's one that I'm enough of a believer in Jacob Chikrin and I'm enough of a believer in having that the two extra years. The fact that you're going to have three playoff runs with Jacob Chikrin under a very reasonable contract. That is enough for me, I think, to say that that's worth it from this team because that also that is a big splash that puts you on the map. We talked about not wanting to send the message to this team if you trade away Carson Soucy. You send this message to the team that you bring in Jacob Chikrin, and it's like, hey, we believe the time is now, and the time is next year and the year after that. Like that, talk about a confidence boost for this group. I don't know. I I feel like he'd help out a lot with the struggles that they've had so far this year too. Yeah, I mean, I I love the player. I'm not arguing with you on that. And and this is the thing too. The Kraken basically have room for one more big ad. We've talked yep. about this. And and this would be it. And I I'm not against having that big ad be on the blue line. You know, we've talked mm-hmm. about like, you know, Bo Horvat or Timo Meyer, some of these forward ads that you could make. I think the way this team is constructed and, and overall balancing the roster, and especially looking at the prospect pipeline coming up, you know, you've got Shane Wright coming, you've got eventually a Jagger Furcus coming, you know, guys like uh, Goyette, Ryan Winterton, you have a lot more forwards mm-hmm. in that yeah. pipeline than you do defensemen. Like, you know, Riker Evans, you know, he, he'll probably be on the team next season, but he's not going to be a top four difference maker right away. Ty Nelson, still going to need some time. 
you know, Chikrin kind of helps you bridge that gap in that time before your defense prospects are ready to come up and, and, and contribute for you if they, if they can, cause you know, there's still question marks that need to pan out. I, <laughs> I know I got to get to the answer of like, would I do this or not? Yep. Because I'm not going to shy away from that. I'm not going <laughs> to, not going to give the listeners a, a cop out here. Um, I still don't think I'd do it. Okay. And that's just because I like to think again, longer term build more sustainably and I, I see this draft class as being kind of that final year with you have a bunch of picks you can load up especially in this deep class and have that be kind of the end of your core mm -hmm. and then you can start thinking about moving 2024 and 2025 picks to supplement that mm -hmm. personally that's the way I would do it and also because this way if you bring in Chikrin you are really banking on this year the next year and the year after is the years you're going to go for it. And I understand the merits of that because you're dealing with uh, Maddie Beneers, uh, you know, for two of those seasons will have not been paid the big money yet. Mm -hmm. And Shane Wright for all of those three, he will have not been paid the big money yet. So you could argue that like in this modern NHL with the salary cap, especially if it's flat, like those are your only real chances to contend as crazy as it yes. sounds. That's... And so I, I, I get that. But I'd like to extend that window out just a little bit further to the point where guys like, you know, uh, Jagger, Furcus, Ty Nelson can be actual contributors for you and not sell out at that point, you know, for these next two or three years. I like the window just a little bit further down from that. So personally, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't say it's a bad move. But again, just it's like GM styles, basically. Yeah. I think this is kind of where you and I differ as far as how we build things. But uh, I, I really do like this, though, you know, because... I think it's a fair it's, offer. It's, I think you've, you've given me yeah. a really good scenario to ponder here. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those, like, I, I agree with you as far as like looking at it. And, and that's partly why I like Chikrin and only Chikrin as, as the only guy that I would even consider this for is because he's only 24 RJ. And yeah. yes, yes, he'd be a UFA at the end of that. But the fact that you have him within the organization, you'll know who he is. And because you already have him acquired, means that you can then through next off season, the off season after that, make moves to set up to know where you're going to be money wise. You know, the Kraken have very few contracts that are going to be under under um you know, very few players under contract at that point. You're looking at one year left of Jamie Alexiak, uh, a year left of Jared McCann. You know what I mean? And and yeah. and and one year left of Jaden Schwartz and Oliver Bjorkstrand. Two years of McCann and one year of Bjorkstrand and Schwartz. That's it. Right? And so you can by already having him in, knowing that that is your player that you're going to have to give that big contract to, you can maneuver a lot easier than saying, well, look, we're, we're maneuvering around contracts now. Which offseason is the offseason that we're going to want to have money around? And then do we think we can get the player we want in free agency? Do we think we can trade for the player we want? Right. Like it, it kind of just brings a level of certainty that you otherwise don't have if you don't have him within the organization already. And that's something I personally value. I haven't seen really any other general managers ever value that. So maybe I'm just totally off on an island, but I would much rather, you know, guaranteed have that player for those years and then be able to build and construct my roster contract wise around that idea rather than trying to do that on the fly later. But, you know, look at a team like Vegas 
where they can just they just move money around they make it work it it's possible you know what i mean right there are teams that prove to us toronto there are teams that that prove to us that anything is possible at any given time so maybe you don't need to worry about that certainty long term but that was the only reason i consider it because otherwise i'm with you this is an incredible draft class. The Kraken amateur scouting department is fantastic. The way they, they work with the analytics department to determine who, who to bring in. I mean, all of it is incredible from the Seattle Kraken group. I'd love to see what they can do having four picks in the top 64, or maybe it ends up being only two or three, but they're higher. Whatever they decide to do in Ron, I trust in all of that stuff. I just thought that is the one player that is kind of gnawing at me. And I'm going like, yeah, that's the one person I would love to see in a Seattle Kraken sweater that I think could really make all this work. And I mean, it, it'd be fun. I'd be, you know, it'd be the talk of the, yeah. the hockey world for sure. Uh, and it'd be fun to cover you know, yes, for, for, the, really to, for our perspective. Yes. Yeah. It'd, it'd be really fun. Yeah. And the, and the final thing is, again, he's only 24. You're talking about what these top defensemen, they, they really stay playoff relevant until they're what, 32, 33. Yeah. 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 So you're still you could you could extend him at the end of this contract and still feel okay about it and he could still help you even if your window isn't say next season or the year after that. He would still be very much around and and able to help out. So Yeah. Uh it's a it's an interesting one. I want to hear people's thoughts on this though because that yes, is let us know a what massive you think. thing. So whether <laughs> you know if you're watching on YouTube, definitely leave us a comment. Hit us up on Discord, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, all those places. I 1,000% yeah. want to hear it. The other thing I want to see is, hey, like I mentioned at the, at the beginning of the podcast, as we as we close out the podcast here and we give our, our kind of closing shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall. If you do, go watch any of these road games at Queen Anne Beer Hall. Please, please, please snap a picture. Let us know. Tag Queen Anne Beer Hall in it. They absolutely love when we can send people their way and it helps us out you know, on our end too, it helps them know that they're, you know, it's worthwhile yeah. working with us, all that kind of good <laughs> stuff. So uh, if anybody does decide to go check out Queen Anne Beer Hall, watch any of these road games, I'd love to see it just because I had a fantastic time watching those games up there. I, I really look forward to and wish, wish I could be doing that for this road trip again. Um, and then well, one final reminder to all the patrons tomorrow night's game against the blues is our live game commentary. It's a ton of fun. RJ and I were live through the whole game, watching it with our Terror of the Deep Tier patrons over on Patreon. If you're interested in joining us for that one, uh, for tomorrow night's game against the Blues, the link is in the YouTube description here. Otherwise, it's patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey. But with all that said and done, RJ, I think we can finally end the podcast. Thank you all for joining us for this one, and we will see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Austin H, Austin W, Beef, Ben, Burnt Creme, Chris, Coop, Daryl, DJ, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Emmy Chan, Gaby, Gary, Harry Legionary, Jay, Joni, Joshua, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Kyle, Leanne, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, Sean, Shoeshine, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler and Wendy. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. <laughs>